0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study.
1: Hopefully by now you have found Luke chapter 7 as we continue our sermon series on the story of Jesus as we are tracing Jesus' life through the gospel of Luke. And we're going to be in the middle of chapter 7. I'll give you the exact verses here in a little bit. Have you ever said something like this to yourself? That was not what I expected. All right? All right. Now, the way I worded that, that actually has an aspect of relief to it, that something that happened in the past was not what you expected, but now it's over. But sometimes we don't put it in the past because we're still going through this. This is not what I expected. I mean, that statement, that feeling, that emotion that comes with that can be true for almost any area of life. It can have to do with a job situation. You took a job, you expected this, that, and the other, whatever. And boy, that, it didn't turn out like you expected. It can have to do with a relationship. Now, hopefully, if you're married, you can say that about your marriage, but it's on the positive side. Boy, I never expected this. This is so cool. This is great. Chances are, it's probably a mixture, right? It can be about your finances. You make an investment, you make a choice, you make a decision, could be a product you bought, a house you bought, a car you it just, it, This just didn't turn out the way I expected. It can be circumstances of life, the way our health goes. You know, like I said, it can apply to just about any area of our lives. What I really hate is when I decide I'm going to say something or do something, especially to address a problem, And then it not only didn't solve the problem, but it made it worse. Because then some of the responsibility falls on me. It's like, that's not what I expected. And I'm the one that caused it to turn out that way. Today, we're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus where a person is wrestling with these kind of thoughts, with these kind of emotions. That's This is not what I expected. There are things that are going on in my life that I never dreamed would be going on. And in this particular situation, in this particular person's life, it causes them to wonder and perhaps even to doubt. That's the title of my message, just a very simple one-word title, doubt. The word doubt is relatively easy to define. It just means to be uncertain of. There's a lot of things in life we're uncertain of. But what makes it hard is when there are certain things you thought you were certain of or certain people that you thought you were certain of, certain people you thought you could count on, and now you doubt. I'm not certain anymore. So there's this individual, and they're having some doubt going through their mind and their heart because they're facing things they never thought they'd face. And to be honest with you, Jesus is turning out not to be quite the person they thought Jesus was going to be. Who is that person we're talking about? Some of you may have looked ahead. You already know. Surely it's some stranger that doesn't know Jesus well. No, it's somebody that's very, very important to the gospel story. It's somebody that's very, very important to the story of Jesus's life. It is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one that God called and prepared even before he was born to be the one to go before Jesus to prepare the way. And now he's in circumstances that's causing him to wonder. Now he's facing difficulties in his life. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I'm not really sure if he's who I thought he was. This is not what I expected and what he wrestles with can relate so much to our lives when we go through things where we don't understand what's going on and not just in general but with God it's like God why are you letting this happen God why is this going on in my this is not what I expected from you it's caused me to doubt a little bit so let's take a look at this story in Luke chapter 7 we're going to start in verse 18, and Luke doesn't tell us this little details. but when you look at the same story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew makes it very clear that this takes place in John the Baptist's life after he's been put in prison. So John the Baptist is in prison. We'll talk about why a little bit later, but he is in prison. And remember, John the Baptist is an outdoorsy kind of guy. He lives outdoors. He operates outdoors. Everything in life is outdoors, and now he is cooped up in this prison. So we pick it up in Luke chapter 7 verse 18. The disciples of John, this is talking about John the Baptist, who had apparently been traveling some with Jesus now that John is in jail, in prison. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What's all these things? It's all the things that come before. If you've been following along, you know. If not, you can read back. But a lot of teaching that Jesus did, a lot of miracles that Jesus did. Immediately before this, we see Jesus healing the centurion's servant by just saying the word at a distance, and he's healed. We see in the story we looked at last week where Jesus and his followers, and the big crowds going into this little town and the funeral procession's coming out. A widow's only son has died, and Jesus raised him from the dead, brought new life, brought new hope. So all these things, John's, Followers who happen to be following Jesus now, or at least know what's going on. They go back to John. They're able to visit him in prison. They're telling him all the stuff that Jesus is doing. Verse 19. And John called two of his disciples to him, and he sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another? Remember, God sent John to announce that Jesus was the one to come. And now he's saying, Lord, are you the one that I thought was or or is there somebody else that's going to fulfill what God said was going to happen and when the men had come to him they said John the Baptist has sent us to you saying are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another and in that hour Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight and he answered them go and tell John Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So the background, I gave you a little bit of the background. John the Baptist is the one that was called to prepare the way for Jesus. And basically he went out and said, God is getting ready to Break into history in a special way. The kingdom of God is near. We need to be ready for what God is getting ready to do. And it involves, he's going to send someone. He says, but we need to be ready. We need to repent of any sin in our lives. And it said that specifically that John the Baptist, as he was preaching this, and people would repent of their sins, that he began to baptize people. That's why he's called John the Baptist. Thus not his middle name and Baptist isn't his last name, Okay. He's the one who's baptizing people because they repented of sins, and he was 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 very very strong in his message about what sin was and what sin uh, wasn't, and and that uh, you know he he applied it to everyday life and said, listen, we've got to get our lives right and be ready for what God's getting ready to do. And he talked about this one that was to come, and and then one day while John's preaching and baptizing, Jesus shows up, and John basically says, that's the guy, he's the one that God has sent. John one twenty nine tells us that John proclaimed, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he predicted Jesus coming in ministry, and he actually baptized Jesus. Jesus came to him, and he says, I want to be baptized. And John says, you don't need to be baptized. You don't have any sins to repent of. In fact, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, this is part of God's plan. To fulfill God's righteousness in his plan, you go ahead and baptize me. And when? he baptized Jesus and he came up out of the water. The presence of the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to anoint him for ministry. And it said that it had kind of a form like a dove and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, you know, you would think after all of that, you know, God had prepared John all along the way. And it was very clear when Jesus showed up that either John had already known or God revealed to him then that this is the guy. So he proclaimed that. And then Jesus is baptized and he hears God's voice from heaven. You would think he would have a firm grasp of who Jesus is and that he's the one he's been waiting for and preparing for. But now, a year, two years later, he's in prison and he's like, was I wrong? Is, Is Jesus the one that I was preparing for? Did I make? Did I get it right? You know, is, is is John doubting God? Is he doubting himself? You know, sometimes it's almost the same thing, or has very similar results. He's in prison. Herod had arrested him and put him in prison, and so and so he sends his disciples, two of them. You know, the Bible says that when you want to have something verified, you need to have at least two witnesses. He sends his two disciples to ask the question: Are you the one? To paraphrase, we say, are you the one that I prepared for? Are you the one that God told me to say all this? Or should we look for somebody else? Did I get it wrong? Now, why would John feel that way? Why would John ask those questions? I think it's for the same reasons that we often question. Because of what John's gone through. Yeah, I know God. I know about Jesus. But now what I'm facing is it's not what I expect. It's not what I expected of my life. It's not what have I expected as a result of serving God. It's not what I expected of God himself. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been in a situation or maybe even today you're in a situation where it's like I look at my life and I I know I got a relationship with God. And you may be here and you don't have a relationship with God. And we're glad you're here. Maybe watching online. That's great. God wants a relationship with you wants to be involved in your life. And and to be honest with you, this is one of the reasons why some people don't have a relationship with God. Because they have a lot of doubts. They say, if God really is real and stuff, why does this happen? Why does that happen? That's another issue, but we'll talk about a little bit today. But for those of you that have a relationship with God, can you relate to that? You're going through life and then something happens. Something strange got your finances all messed up. Or maybe you did, I don't know. But it's a mess. Your marriage is having difficulties. Your relationship with your kids and your parents, there's just problems that are there. Your health unexpectedly takes a negative turn. It's like, God, why are you letting this happen? Well, let's take a look at John. Let's take a look at what he's facing. As we look at this story today, I want to talk about the causes of doubt, or at least some of the major causes of doubt, but even more importantly, because a lot of us realize why we're dealing with doubt, what is the cure for doubt? What is it that we can do today to deal with the doubt that we have and the questions that we face? So first of all, let's talk about the causes of doubt. And I'm going to mention three of them. And I can see them here in John's story and his life and his circumstances. And the first one is disappointing circumstances. Disappointing circumstances. You know, disappointing circumstances can cause doubt. John's asking himself, why am I in this mess? Why am I in this prison? Now, I already mentioned he's in prison. King Herod has put him in prison. And you have to understand, it's not like our prisons. As much as we would not want to be in one of our prisons, this is much, much worse. That day and age, a prison was just a place to hold somebody till you decided what to do with them. And if you were holding them in this sort of circumstance or as a prisoner, chances are they did something wrong. They ticked you off. They rubbed you the wrong way. And you didn't want to treat them well. So it was probably a muddy hole in the ground. John was being held in one of King Herod's fortresses, and archaeologists have, you know, examined it and everything. And 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 the prison there was basically a muddy hole in the ground under this fortress. So it's not like a hole where you have access to the sky. We don't even know if he could see the sky. And he's sitting in this hole in the mud, in the dirt... And as I mentioned, if you can think about the fact that John the Baptist was an open air guy, he was an outside guy, he was an outdoor guy, he lived outside, that's what he liked, and now he is cooped up in this muddy hole in the dark. How did he get there? He preached a message that King Herod didn't like. In fact, it wasn't just saying, well, you know, people that love God shouldn't do this. He pointed the finger at King Herod. But King Herod needed a finger pointed at him. King Herod was a tremendously ungodly guy. What John had pointed out to him is that King Herod, you know, you took a trip to your to Rome and on the way you seduced your brother's wife. And when you got back home, you divorced your wife and took your brother's wife from him. And now you're in relationship with her. And he says, that's not right. And King Herod didn't like that message. So he threw John in prison. And just look at John. John, he's like, I'm preaching, I'm preaching God's message. I've laid the foundation for this one to come. I've laid the foundation for us to be ready for the kingdom of God. I'm doing the right thing. And God lets me get thrown into prison. And I'm not just here for a day. I've been here for a while. It doesn't look like I'm going to get out. And, and spoiler alert, many of you probably already know the story. He doesn't get out. He gets his head cut off. Can you imagine how he's wrestling with that? It's like, God, he's been fulfilling God's purpose in his entire life. It's a little bit disappointing to be in prison. It's a lot a bit disappointing. We find ourselves in a messy situation that brings disappointment. It's like, why am I in this situation? And and it's true, many of the messy situations, the frustrating situations, the difficult situations we find ourselves in, we got ourselves into it. Well, it's because we've gotten involved in sin and now we're facing the consequences or we've made a dumb decision or we've made a mistake or or, or whatever. But we can honestly say, you know what? I don't like the circumstances I'm in. I'm very, very disappointed, but I, I have to take the blame. I mean, I'm at least partly um uh, responsible for seeing this happen. But what makes it really, really hard is when the difficult things come our way and we had nothing to do with it. We're not responsible for it. In our eyes, and and, and truthfully so, we don't deserve it. You know, I mean, we may deserve all kinds of things, but this thing that I'm facing, this situation I'm in, I don't deserve it. I did the right things. And especially if we're living for God, trying to live the right way and a direct result from doing the right thing, it brings about negative consequences. It's like, God, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. This isn't the way how heavenly math is supposed to work. You know, I live for God, do the right thing. He blesses me. And can I tell you that that is the path to God's blessing is obedience and living for him and, and God works in your lives, but it doesn't necessarily fence out all the evil of this world and all the things that come about as a result of the presence of sin in this world. But yet we wonder, God, Why? You could have stopped it. You could have kept it from happening. You could get me out of it. And God, where are you at? And John is probably experiencing those same thoughts, those same emotions, asking those same questions. Disappointing circumstances. He's in prison facing death because of his faithfulness to God. And when we are suffering... However we're suffering, physically, financially, relationally, whatever it might be, when we are suffering as children of God, and especially as a result of trying to do the right thing, it can make it easy for us to doubt, to be uncertain. A second thing that can cause doubt is unfulfilled expectations. And by the way, these are all tied together. Unfulfilled expectations can cause doubt as we opened up and saying, have you ever expected one thing and um, experienced another? A very simple way would be maybe Christmas time. You know, you really hope to get that one particular gift. You put all those hints out there. Like 15 post-it notes on every mirror in the house of what you really wanted to get. You know, so you knew you were going to get it and then Christmas Day, Eve, whenever you open gifts, it's like, I didn't get it. There's something wrong here. That's a simple, silly example, but so many times we expect one thing and, and we don't get it. We, we get something else. And especially if you're expecting something good and you get something bad back. And that's exactly what John is facing, as I've already described. John's like, why am I, why, why am I suffering like this? God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why is Herod doing so good while I'm suffering? I mean, remember what it was that John preached, right? He says, God's getting ready to break into history. The kingdom of God is near. He's going to send someone and everybody's hoping it's the Messiah. And he's going to take care of unrighteousness and bring about God's righteousness. You know, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching all these things. And, and, and God's going to take care of sin and sinners. And, and now the biggest sinner he had been instructed to point the finger at is doing really good. King Herod's doing just fine. And he's the one that's obeyed God to bring the message, and he's in prison. Definitely wasn't what he expected. Not only that, but this guy, Jesus, who happened to be related to John, they were probably cousins, close relationship like that. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he was so sure that he was the one proclaimed and to be so. It was confirmed by God's voice from heaven. He's the one. But now he's like, I'm not so sure he's the one. And it's not just because Jesus hasn't gotten a posse together to break him out of jail. Although he probably is wondering, why doesn't Jesus get me out of here? He knows Jesus can do all kinds of miracles. He's done. He's raised the dead. Why doesn't he get John out of jail? But the biggest problem he's wrestling with, I believe, is the fact that he, like the rest of God's people, are waiting for the Messiah. And the Messiah is someone that God had been talking about all through the history of His people for hundreds of years, especially through the prophets. This one that God was going to send someday to make all the wrongs right, to bring about what is righteous, to reestablish God's kingdom, to put a descendant of David on the throne, to punish those who are so wicked and, 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 and guilty of injustice that God's going to send someone to make it right. And that's the idea that they had for the Messiah because that's the way it was described in Scripture, but it was only half the description. You see, the other half of the description of the Messiah was that this one was going to come and he was going to have to take care of the sin problem. And in the process, he was going to suffer. But nobody wanted a suffering Messiah. It's like, it doesn't even make sense anyway. How can he be a victorious king but a suffering? So let's just forget that part. Let's look forward to a victorious king. And so when Jesus came the first time, it was to take care of the sin problem. So he came as that suffering servant. He will still come as the victorious king. He is going to set up God's kingdom. He will rule and reign from a throne here on earth. He will deal an end to all sin and evil and suffering. And the appropriate judgments will be given out and rewards given. But that's the kind of Messiah that people were looking for. That's the kind of Messiah John was looking for, but here's Jesus, he's just going around, he's very gentle, he's very nice. Every once in a while he gets a little worked up when he starts talking about the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. He's healing people, that's great. He's raising people, that's great. But what is he doing about sin and unrighteousness? What is he doing about the wicked rule of King Herod? He's doing nothing. So John's wondering, did I get it wrong? Did I get it wrong? I mean, even in Luke's story, we've already looked at this. In Luke chapter 3, when Jesus shows up, or right before Jesus shows up, in Luke 3, verses 16 and 17, this is what John said. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, man, he's going to be so awesome, so wonderful, I don't even deserve to take care of his feet. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, he's going to reward all that is good and right. He's going to set up God, and you know what? He's going to take care of this wicked stuff that's going on. God's going to make the wrong things right. So John had this idea of what Jesus was going to be like and what he was going to do. And it was right. It's just that it wasn't the right time for that yet. But because John didn't have the full picture and he didn't fully understand all the things that God was going to do, he was kind of expecting the wrong things. And the same thing can happen to us. We've got this idea of what God should and shouldn't do, what Jesus should and shouldn't do, and we look at our lives and say, this doesn't match up. And we may have very good reason to wonder why, because we see the promises of God in His Word, where it says, I will deliver you from evil. I will, you know, be with you through the valley of shadow death. You know, when you get into trouble, I will help you. I'm going to provide for you, you know, put God's kingdom first and His righteousness, all these things. We'll be at, we got all these promises and we get into circumstances and it's like, this is not what I would have expected based on what God has promised I bet you every single one of us have wrestled with that to some degree or another, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because that would seem really unspiritual. How can I feel that way? How can I believe that way? We've got ideas of what Jesus should be like, what he should be doing, and he doesn't fit our preconceived ideas. He doesn't do things the way we think he should and definitely doesn't do things when we think he should, right? We've got this need. We pray, God, would you please do this? And Lord, we really would like you to do it yesterday. That's when we would like you to do it because then we'd already be past it. But he doesn't. We say things like, if Jesus is really God, then why doesn't he fill in the blank? If Jesus really loves me, then why am I fill in the blank with your specific situation? So can I tell you, when we're facing circumstances that are not what we expected, it's easy to doubt The third thing that can cause doubt is limited understanding. Limited understanding. Limited understanding can cause doubt. Again, these are all overlap. They interrelate with each other. And so John is sitting in this situation, I don't understand. But why did he not understand? Because he didn't see the full picture. As as godly of a man as he was, as directed by God and empowered by God as he was, the understanding that he had of Scripture that he had, he still didn't get the full picture but nobody did Jesus knew and even as he taught his disciples and told them ahead of time what's going to happen they didn't get it they didn't fully understand the whole picture and sometimes we don't see the whole picture either and sometimes for them just like it is for us we only see what we want to see isn't that true I talked about how we look at God's promises in his word and we love to cling to those promises and we can and we should but we don't want to see the part that indicates that it may take a little time. We don't want to see the part where God says I'm going to deliver you out of your troubles but we don't want to see the part that that means that we got to be in trouble for God to deliver us. Right? I mean, think about it. If God probably I'm going to deliver you from troubles you're going to be in trouble. Right? Our thing is, okay, that's fine, but let it last about two seconds. All right, then deliver me. I'm going to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's God. God's presence is going to be with me wherever we go. But that means we're going to be going through the valley of the shadow of death. We only see what we want to see and we have a limited understanding. John didn't see what he wanted to see in Jesus. He wanted to see that judgment side of Jesus to come out. He wanted to see Jesus to do or say something that would depose King Herod. Set up God's kingdom. Bring a descendant of David to the throne. Whoever that might be, Jesus himself, I don't care, set up God's kingdom. But because he was so focused on that, he missed seeing what was actually going on. You see, his disciples had brought him word of what Jesus had said and done. Great teaching. He's healing people. He's delivering people from evil spirits. He's raising the dead. And John says, yeah, 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 but has he gotten rid of Herod yet? Yeah, yeah, that's good, but has has he set up God's kingdom yet? See, he's so focused on what he wants to see happen that he's not paying as close of attention to what actually is happening. He's got this limited understanding. Some of it's because nobody really understood yet, but part of it's because he's allowing himself to be blinded to what's actually happening. And the same thing is true for us. We, we can't see the future. We can't see how our current situation, our current circumstances, even though they're negative, might fit into a bigger plan that's actually going to turn out good down the road. We can't see how our negative circumstances can fit into God's good plan. Makes me think of a, a putting together a jigsaw puzzle. You know, I'm, some of you maybe really like putting jigsaw puzzles. I, I haven't done one for a long time, but, but you, know, you got all these pieces and some of them, it's so obvious how they fit together, you know? That's why I always do the edge pieces and the corners first. You know? And sometimes you got something that, it, you, you know, you look at the picture on the box and, and it's like, oh, there's a big red ball. Let's get all the red pieces. We'll put that all together. But I don't know about you, but what, sometimes when I put jigsaw puzzles, it's like you're working on it and you're, you're puzzling through it. You get, and there's this one piece you keep looking at. So I cannot see where that piece fits. And you really wonder, did the Jigsaw Puzzle Factory get a wrong piece in this box? It does not fit. Maybe a couple of them that don't fit. Not that they don't really fit, but you don't see it in the, but when you get all done, it's like, oh, that's where that goes. Or using the same illustration, you got a, a beautiful a picture that you're putting together, but there's one corner of it that's really, really dark because it's in the shadows in the same way, but 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 it's necessary to make that picture so beautiful because the shadows need to be there, you know? And that's the way it is with life sometimes. You know, I can think of so many people in God's word, godly people, wonderful people, who went through things that would deal with this, that that would cause them to feel the exact same way. Think of Joseph. And there's a couple of Josephs. Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, prince of Egypt. A young man, a little arrogant, Sold by his brothers into slavery. Does well for himself. And how does God reward him for doing so well? He gets promoted, but almost immediately he is framed, falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. He tries to serve God faithfully and diligently there. He's given more responsibility, a little bit more freedom. He's able to help some high-level people. In a very positive way, is, hey, when you get out of prison, you know, remember me. You know, try to get me out of here. And the people, he's, the guy says, "Yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you." And he gets out, and he totally forgets about Joseph for a couple of years. But it was all part of God's plan, God's bigger plan to bring about good things for Joseph and for all of his people. You see, we don't understand how a negative thing can bring about positive results. Maybe if we look at other people's lives, we can. But not in ours. How can this negative thing bring about positive things? But it's because we have a limited understanding. So we're all going to struggle with doubt from time to time, but the important thing isn't as much what causes it as what we do about it. And so I want to spend the rest of our time talking about cures for doubt, or the cure for doubt, or at least a couple of things that we see in this story that might help us out a little bit, all right? What can we do? What should we do when we face Doubt. When we're in these circumstances, and it says, like, yeah, "I know God's word. I know God. I got." But Lord, I don't understand. What What do we do? Number one is this: take your questions to the Lord. Take your questions to the Lord. Take your questions to Jesus. So John did. Had these questions. Had these doubts. What did he do? He couldn't go anywhere. So he called his disciples. Listen. Go talk to Jesus about this. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why it's the way it is. Is this the right thing? I, here's my question. Take my question to Jesus. He took his question to Jesus so many times. And this is exactly what the enemy would want us to do. When we have these questions, when we have these doubts, he wants us to turn away from God instead of turning to God. God can handle the stuff we're going through. God can handle our questions. God can handle our doubts. God can handle our anger. Oh, no, no, no. I could never be angry at God. At least I can't let him know like he doesn't already know. I can't be frustrated at God like he doesn't already know. I can't be disappointed in God or at least what he's doing like he doesn't already know. He can handle it. Turn to God. Turn to Jesus. Take your questions to him. God's not afraid of our questions. I believe that he invites them. Notice when the disciples come to Jesus. Did Jesus say, oh, that John, why couldn't he just cling to me in faith? Why couldn't he just stand firm? He knows the truth. No. His answer is actually to do some things. We'll talk about that in just a moment, to, to, to do miracles and all that kind of stuff and tells the disciples, go back and tell John what's happening. And we'll, tell, we'll talk about why that was so significant in just a moment too. But in the passage we're going to look at next in a couple of weeks. Right after John's disciples leave to give him that message, Jesus starts bragging on John. In the midst of all his questions and even a little bit of doubt that has crept in, Jesus is saying, John is an awesome, I'm paraphrasing it. John is an awesome guy. In fact, of all the people that have lived in history up to this point in time, he's the greatest guy ever. He alludes to the fact that he's faithfully served God. Jesus didn't condemn him, look down on him, downgrade him because he had questions. And God doesn't do that to us either. Read through the Psalms. Great expressions of praise to God, but even more so great cries of anguish like, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to our nation? Why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous are struggling? But I love the way most all those Psalms, I think there's only one or two Psalms that cry out like that and don't end on a positive note. Most all of them end on a positive note saying, but God, I'm still going to trust you. But God, I know you're going to bring it about. But God, I know you got a plan. You're faithful. I don't understand it, but it's going to happen. So take your questions to the Lord. Take your questions to the Lord. I think of Job, all that he went through. He took it to the Lord. He stood firm. Don't ever turn away from God. Turn to him. Turn to him. The second cure here is keep your eyes open for God's answer. Keep your eyes open for God's answer. If you're going to question God, if you're going to ask him, then keep your eyes, and and that involves being involved. You know, get into God's word. You know, find some good Bible studies on the issues that you're wrestling with. Or just some general ones, like, why do Christians go through trials and temptations and troubles? Why do Christians suffer sometimes? You know, get into it, but keep your eyes open for God's answer. In this case, Jesus' answer was, as I said before, just to begin to do things. He began to heal people. You know, he allowed, he caused the lame to walk. He uh, helped the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. All these miraculous things Jesus answered consisted of deeds of things that he did that were based on God's word. And in the same way, God will speak to us in the same way. He'll speak to us through things that we see or experience, but he will speak to us through his word. That's why it's so important to spend time with God in his word and prayer every day. Every day. Keep your eyes open for God's answer. Number three, focus on what God is doing rather than what he's not doing. And that's not always easy. When we're in a difficult situation, especially especially if it's very, very, very painful, we are so focused on that situation that we sometimes miss what God is doing on the positive side. As I said, Jesus' answer was kind of doing something for He just did all this stuff. And he told, told John, now go back and tell him. Go back and tell him what happened. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. Now, for us, it's like, okay, well, that's really cool. Those are neat things. That's great. And that could tell John, well, God's at work. But you see, John would understand this at one level higher than we probably would understand it today. And that's this. We talked about all the places where God had spoken to his prophets about this Messiah that was supposed to come. And John had proclaimed, he's coming, he's coming. Jesus is it. Well, one of the places... That God spoke about that was in Isaiah. Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. I'm not going to read it to you. But, and then also several other places in Isaiah. And through Isaiah, God said that when this guy shows up, you will know who he is. Because the blind will see. The lame will walk. The deaf will hear. The poor will have the good news preached to them. So basically, Jesus is saying, John's wondering, did he get it right? John's wondering if I'm the one that he thought was coming. Well, here's the proof. All the things that God said about the one that was supposed to come, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I am the one. I am the one. You know, when you're discouraged about what God's not doing in your life, I want to encourage you to focus on what he is doing and what he has done. But try, it's not easy, but try not to make it a selfish thing. What do I mean by that? Not just the good stuff that God's doing for you. Okay, or what he has done for you. But just look at God's goodness around you. You know, Jesus' answer to John wasn't all the good things that he had done for John. It's all the good things he was doing for everybody else. But I'm sure that John could look back at his own life and look at those times when he did have the confidence, when he did experience God's touch and his anointing. He knew he was in the center of God's will and he knew that God spoke to him. And I believe that God is telling him and he's telling us cling to that. You don't like what's going on now. You don't understand what's going on now, but cling to what you know that God has done. I've seen this all too many times, and even in my own life, when things get tough, and people are so frustrated and upset and and disappointed and hurting, and they totally miss or temporarily forget all the good things God's done. When it's like, Where's God's provision going to come from? Because I need this now to forget that, well, just last week God provided that. I've got this bill this month, and I totally forgot that God gave me an extra $200 last month. I'm hurting in my body right now, but I've totally forgotten that... Two weeks ago, I was hurting and I prayed and God gave me the strength to get up and do what I needed to do. We are so often, you know, I, I, I've said this so many times that we look at the Israelites when God delivers them from Egypt, you know, and all these miracles and the 10 plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. And within a day or two, they're grumbling, and complaining, God, where are you at? Why aren't you feeding us? It's like, oh my goodness, look what he just did in the last week. But we do the same thing. We get so caught up in the circumstances now. It's like, well, God, what are you going to do for me now? I know you did that. What are you going to do for me now? And we need to take our faith and the foundation of our faith and our confidence on our whole life and all that God has done and what we believe he's going to do looking forward to the future. So focus on what God is doing rather than what he is not doing, even if he's not doing it for you. Number four. case you're wondering, there's going to be five of these before we wrap it up, okay? Number four, focus on what you understand rather than what you don't understand. Focus on what you know rather than what you don't know. John would have been served, and I I can relate, I, I, I don't know that I would have felt any different, done any better if I was in his situation than he did, but he would have been a whole lot better served to focus on what God had done and said through him and that confidence that he had when he stepped out into ministry and he carried out that ministry all along and focused on that rather than the things that he didn't understand. I'm not saying ignore the things you don't understand. The first thing is take your questions to God. Go ahead, investigate the questions. But can I tell you that even as a pastor and having known the Lord for 52 years and been in ministry for over 30 years, there's still some things I don't totally understand. I'm talking about questions in God's Word. I mean, i got a pretty firm grasp, all that kind of stuff. but there's a lot of things about life I don't totally understand. And there are times that people will come to me and say, why is God doing this? Why is He allowing this in my life? And I can point out general principles of, you know, God's people have suffered all through history. It's part of living in a sinful, fallen world. Some more than others. Why are some more than others? I, and I have to say, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that God is a good God. And God is faithful. And I have seen enough of His goodness and His faithfulness, and I've found enough answers to the questions that I have that I can trust Him for the things I don't understand right now. I, I've seen Him deliver. I've seen Him heal. I've seen Him provide... I've seen him give instruction and wisdom enough that I can trust him now when I don't see how it's all going to work out, because he has come through so many times. There's a there's a, a statement I don't know who originated. It says, "Don't doubt in the dark what you learned in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what you learned in the light. Don't let what you don't understand keep you from trusting what you do understand." I think of the story of the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. And he's being grilled by the religious leaders. Well, how did this happen? And all because he's claiming Jesus is the Messiah, all this kind of stuff. And and, he's, and in the course of the conversation, they're saying, well, how did this happen? Who Who is this guy? And, and the blind man says, listen, whether he... And they tell him, you know, this Jesus must be a sinner because he doesn't do what we think God should do. And the blind man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And we look at our circumstances of our life, say, well, this circumstance, I don't like it. And, and it doesn't really line up with what I think that God would probably do. But what I do know is that God's been faithful to me, faithful to me in the past. God saved me of my sins. You know, I, I'm saved, sanctified and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit on my way to heaven. And this stuff's happening. I'm just going to keep trusting God. Just going to keep trusting God. Focus on what you do understand rather than what you don't understand. And the fifth one just kind of grows out of that. I kind of alluded to it. Keep trusting even when you don't understand. It's not easy. It's not easy. Just keep obeying God. Keep doing what is right. Even if it continues to bring negative consequences. Seek to please God rather than anybody else, including yourself. It goes against everything in us. But keep trusting even when you don't understand. Even if it doesn't, seem to make any difference. You see, I think that's behind what Jesus said in that last sentence that we read in the passage we're looking at today, verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think at least part of what Jesus is saying that by that is, you know what, you will be blessed and it's all gonna be okay if you'll just keep trusting me instead of walking away from me. It'll all work out if you'll just keep trusting me instead of being offended like, I don't understand God, I'm just going to go a different direction. And John is such a great example for us today, I think, because the situation in his, he found himself, it didn't change. He stayed in prison until he was put to death. But you see, that wasn't the end of John. Now, we can only speculate <laughs> of what happened after that, but John was ushered into the presence of God. And whether he's received it yet or not, he will be tremendously rewarded for all eternity for the part that he played. And he played such a phenomenal, intricate, intimate, important part in God's plan. And I would say that if you could talk to John today and say, did you enjoy what you went through? He said, nope. Did you like being in prison? Nope. Do you wish you could have avoided it? Yep. Are you glad that you did seeing what the end result was? He probably would have said, yeah. I said the same thing about Job, all that Job went through. If you could talk to Job in heaven today, did you like what you went through? No. Wanna go through it again? No. Are you glad you did because of the example it's been to thousands and ten thousands of godly people throughout history? Are you, are you glad with? Yes, I am. See, God's got a bigger plan. And it doesn't end on this earth. Keep trusting even when you don't understand. I think of the story, it's in John. I I didn't have it in my notes, and I typed it in at the last minute right before I walked up here. It's a story in John where Jesus is teaching, and and there's all these people following him, but they're following for all the wrong reasons. It's all real flippant. It's all kind of surface. So he decides to shake things up a little bit. So he starts talking about his body being food and his blood being drink and people need to partake of his body. And, and even today, it's like, what exactly did he? And he's talking about spiritual things that we need to you know, have Jesus in our life and the fact that he's gonna die for our sins and all that kind of stuff. But after he got done preaching or teaching that very unusual, hard to understand um, lesson, it says a bunch of his followers left him. It's like, this doesn't make any sense. And he turned to his disciples. He says, are you guys gonna leave me too? And Peter, to paraphrase what Peter says, he says, Lord, we didn't understand it any more than anybody else, but where are we going to (laughs) go? I mean, it's not like we have no place else to go, but you're the one. You're the guy. You have the answers. (laughs) Don't understand it. But we're going to stick with you. That's what it needs to be for us. Lord, I don't understand it, but I'm going to stick with you. God, I don't like it, but I'm going to stick with you. There's a saying that's kind of been a part of our family for the last couple of years because of some circumstances that we've faced in our family. And it just grows out of life and the teaching of Scripture that there's so many times that we can honestly go to God and say, God, I don't understand these circumstances in my life and I don't like them. In fact, I even hate them. Not people, but circumstances. But I'm going to choose to keep trusting you. And that's not always easy to say. But that's where the solution lays. So as we wrap this up today, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. I want to ask you, what prison, John's in prison, this prison is the circumstance in which it's starting to cause this doubt and everything. What prison is causing you to doubt? Maybe you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you're saying, you know what, everything's pretty cool right now. If we took a poll, it would probably be maybe 5% of the people that could say, you know, everything's cool. <laughs> all my relationships are good. Everything's cool at work or school, you know, and my jobs. Good. My finances are fine, you know. I'm at peace. Uh, we will not ask any of you that have everything going so good for you to raise your hand because we don't want you to be stoned. Although if that's true for you, I'd like to talk to you to find out how you did it. We all have circumstances in our life. And some are a lot worse than others. There are those of you, I'm sure, that are sitting here or watching online, you are facing some of the most painful circumstances you've ever faced in your life. And maybe some of the most difficult obstacles, whether it's financial or health issues or relationships or whatever. And I just want to challenge you to come to Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this sermon hasn't been so much about how to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you to understand how to do that. It basically means surrendering your life to him and asking to forgive you of your sins, which is what caused the problem between you and God. And he took care of it on the cross. But come to Jesus. But those of you, the great majority of you, I believe, that are believers, you're saying, yeah, we're facing some tough stuff. And I've been trying to, and maybe, just maybe, there's a couple people that says, you know, I've been doing exactly what you talked about, but just, just this week I was thinking, maybe I should just give up. And you say, well, God, I'm going to go to church today and see if you got something for me. Can I tell you, God just spoke to you through his word. Don't give up. Even if it gets worse, don't give up. Keep coming to Jesus. Bring your questions to him. Keep trusting him. Look at the good he's doing and just believe that whatever bad he's allowed in there, he will bring good out of it. It may not all be immediately. It may not even all be in this life. But whatever's not in this life is going to last forever. There's an old saying. He says, many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. Cling to Jesus. Jesus. Let's all stand together. Our worship team is going to be singing here in just a moment. Begin to play. In fact, you guys can go ahead and start playing, singing softly. I want to do things a little bit different this morning. Usually we call our elders down. We're here available here. But I just want to say, if you are here today and you're facing some tough stuff and you just want God to intervene, would you come down here? And that's no confession of sin or anything like that. It's just saying, I got some stuff and, you know, I really like God to touch me today. I got some tough stuff going on Come on down We're not going to embarrass you We're just going to pray for you We're going to pray that God intervenes We're going to pray that God works a miracle Come on You got a health situation going on You got problem with the finances You got a relationship situation It's not saying you've done something wrong In fact, it may be because you've done something right but you need Jesus' touch today. You need God to intervene. You, you just need God to give you enough strength to hold on for one more day, maybe.
0: Come right ahead. What a privilege we have that we can come to the altar and meet with Jesus. But my friend, don't just do it on Sundays. Do it on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We have an altar in our home, or if we don't, we should. That altar can be your closet. It can be the bathroom. But find time to talk to the one who loves you, who cares about your situation. He hears your heart's cry. Trust him. Know that he loves you he cares about what you are walking through he has not turned against you he's not angry with you he loves you so much trust him believe him walk with him father god i thank you lord that you are our healer you are our provider You are the glory and the lifter of our heads. God, when we don't understand situations, we can trust you. Help us to do that, Father. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray your blessings on everyone under the sound of my voice right now. Bless your people. God, use them this week to be your hands and feet to whoever we all come in contact with. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.